This week on the show, my guest is Corey Poirier. We talk about storytelling in public speaking and the lessons he's learned from doing stand-up comedy and putting together TEDx talks. Welcome to episode 142 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey folks and welcome to the show. Thanks as always for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast, whether you've downloaded it or streamed it. I really appreciate your time and also your support and feedback. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy from Edinburgh, helping people like you keep their marketing strategy simple and the BS at bay. If you need any help, whether it's a full-on strategy or you're looking to launch a new product, podcast, or just want to kickstart your social media, please look me up at rogeredwards.co.uk, get in touch, and let's have a chat. So, let's get into that interview with Corey. We chat about the public speaking lessons you can learn from doing stand-up comedy, effective storytelling and audience engagement, starting from the goal and the story rather than the PowerPoint deck, why the TED Talk format of short, succinct story-driven speeches is so successful, and how to market yourself whilst you're at a conference. Corey is an award-winning keynote speaker having presented to 100,000 attendees and shared the bill with Deepak Chopra and General Rick Hillier. He's an award-winning executive He's host of Conversations with Passion, a radio show which features the likes of Jack Canfield, John Gray, and Dr. John Izzo. And he's an international best-selling author of the book Share Your Message with the World. He's also interviewed 4,000 of the world's highest achievers to gather material for his books and talks. So let's get straight into that interview with Corey, right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Corey, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Roger, for bringing me on board. Super excited to be here. Corey, tell me, where are we Skyping each other from? I suspect you are across the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. I'm actually in Prince Edward Island in uh, Canada, which is the smallest little province in Canada. I've been to Canada twice myself. I've been to Toronto and I've been to Vancouver, but that's a, uh, a hidden gem that I've yet to discover for myself. Oh, I, th- I think you'll love it. It's uh, But if you're going to come, make sure you come in the summer, spring, or fall. Okay. Leave winter out. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't want to um, get caught up in the snow. Corey, your CV is to die for. Um, you are a TEDx speaker. You have interviewed 4,000. And yes, guys, you did hear that correctly. 4,000 of the world's top leaders. And you did that to search for traits that set world leaders apart and you've done stand-up and you've done speeches all over the world so we've got lots that we can talk about today Corey and I'm really really interested to find out a bit more about the TED speaking and storytelling but maybe before we get into that please could you tell the listeners of the marketing and finance podcast a little bit about your background and where you came from and and basically what makes you tick Corey yeah happy to so I I guess in terms of my background I grew up in a small a little province in Canada Mm -hmm. and I say this I travel all over uh, mostly North America speaking 
So it's not like I uh, spend all of my time there, but I grew up in this little tiny province, kind of a, we call it a meat and potatoes type place, mm-hmm. you know, where you're kind of your word is your, your bond type yeah. thing and everybody knows each other. And, uh, I was raised by a single mother and these things, you know, might sound like why add that into the story, but the truth is they've played such a big part in who I sort of became mm. and who I was all the way through. Uh, so my, my mother, again, who raised me as, uh, by herself, I kind of learned uh, a lot of life lessons from her along the way. Yeah. And, and also my grandfather who became sort of my father in a lot of ways. And, you know, growing up in a small little town and community where you were somewhat isolated, you know, we're on an island. So uh, you had to drive across a bridge now. It used to be a boat mm-hmm. to, to get anywhere. And so it really shaped, I guess, sort of my backstory and, and who I am at the root of things. And then in terms of what sort of changed from that upbringing is that when I was about 19, I launched a business publication right. where I was interviewing other leaders, learning what they did, what made them tick and sharing that with other people. And then I made a move across the country uh, because I had felt, you know, I'd done all I could in a small little place. And that's sort of when my world kind of opened up. I got into a, a sales background. I, I got into a, a sales driven company, Toshiba, which a lot of people would know who make the laptops and yeah. the, the projector screens and all that kind of stuff. And so I spent a number of years there. And essentially, that was when I sort of learned about the corporate world, sales, business, all those things. And then how that relates to the rest of sort of my journey is that I uh, basically moved back close to where I had grown up and got into stand-up comedy while I was still working in that same career that I started with Toshiba. Mm -hmm. And the end result of this, to bring us full circle, what happened was uh, along the way I realized that I liked elements of stand-up, elements I didn't like. And so I transitioned into speaking as my kind of full-time passion. And while doing that, I realized that I'd never closed the door on that business publication that I mentioned from when I was 19. So I relaunched a similar paper and continued that interview process. So this probably that journey explains the stand up. It explains how I get into speaking and also explained how I got sort of obsessed by interviewing people all in sort of one little backstory. So that's kind of my journey in a short of Reader's Digest version as I can reveal it. And stand up is is such a good grounding for giving speeches isn't it and you learn so many communication skills and of course the ability to tell stories to inject humor so would you say that the stand-up has allowed you to be a much more successful presenter than say somebody like myself who has a totally corporate background i mean i do a lot of public speaking but my history is probably death by powerpoint and it's it's probably taken me about 15 years to realize that death by powerpoint isn't a good thing and i've changed my style a lot recently but i've never done stand-up so do you think that that has given you a, a really firm grounding to be a successful public speaker yeah 100 percent. i i openly say regularly that the best training I've ever received as a speaker was my time in stand up and on those stages. Right. And so what you learn, as you mentioned and alluded to Roger, is you learn a lot about storytelling. What really helps in the stand up world is learning how to deliver the funny in a rough environment. So like a nightclub, hecklers, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You learn how to deliver the funny there, which is really hard to do. And it's so much easier to do that in a corporate environment. So I sort of feel for people that didn't start out with a stand-up background that are trying to incorporate humor. 
because it's easier to pull back because stand-up's harder to do. So it's easier to pull back and and deliver a, a corporate funny story than it is to deliver on a stand-up stage. So I learned so much about how to deliver humor, how to deliver, um, I'm going to say PG humor, you yeah. know, so politically friendly humor, and then also how to storytell and even engage an audience all from my stand-up days. So 100% that was probably the best training and breeding ground I ever could have had. Yeah, I think I... People tell me I'm a funny presenter, but I've never stood on stage and told a joke because if I did, I would fall completely flat on my face. But I think that there are ways of being funny without telling jokes. And I've obviously developed that skill over the years, but I don't think I could stand up on stage and do stand up like you have. So, you know, hats off. That's a, that's a, a remarkable achievement. And uh, I'm probably a little bit envious of it, actually. Well, you know, I, I have to say that it was all a happy accident. I'd mm-hmm. love to say it was all by design or I was destined to jump on a stage, but but I truly was a terrible speaker when I started. I mean, my first talk I delivered, I don't remember what I said, and I asked people afterwards and they couldn't tell me what I said. They just said, you're really <laughs> passionate about it. But but I really bombed, for lack of a better way of saying it. I was covered in sweat. My first interview on the radio, uh, I was covered in sweat. You know, no even reason because the only person in the room other than me was the, the, the interviewer. <laughs> and so... I really started from ground zero and the stand-up thing was, I was kind of tricked into it. I, I, and I believe that firmly because I had a stage play in a fringe fest where I was the director and writer right. and I didn't want to be on the stage. An actor convinced me to take a stand-up workshop and I realized taking the workshop didn't mean I'd ever have to get in the stage, mm-hmm. but I could learn a lot and meet some great people. And then the third week in our sort of workshop was us going to a comedy club to watch other entertainers. Right. And we discovered five minutes of showtime that we were the entertainers that were going to be on the stage. Mm. So I say I was tricked into it. So I don't know if I could take any credit for getting onto a stand-up stage. A happy accident then, obviously. Other than actually stepping up on the stage, I can't take any credit <laughs> for it. So obviously the, the stand-up gave you a great background. You started presenting in a more corporate environment but at the same time as you said you've started to build upon what you were doing earlier and interviewing people from around the world and finding out the the traits of very successful people and obviously you've interviewed 4,000 people and, and you've got quite a lot of material which you've now taken out and you use in your speeches so how did you make that transition from corporate to TED and I think this is this is one of the things that really intrigues me because again, when you watch a TED talk, whether it's a, a full TED talk or a TEDx talk, it's all about a succinct, clear, concise message, probably wrapped around a story, as opposed to the aforementioned death bow PowerPoint that I mentioned before. How how did you make that transition into that uh, into that TED world? Well, I think as well, the, you know, if I go back to the well again, I think mm-hmm. the stand up helped that mm-hmm. because, as you mentioned, it's it's totally a different format than corporate. And so maybe the fact that I started in a different format mm-hmm. and transitioned to a TED would be a lot easier for me than somebody who starts in corporate only. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is a lot of the main ingredients of what works in the TED talk work in any talk yeah. you know, and should be used. It's just that a lot of people haven't been forced to apply them until they either get invited to a TED Talk or they apply or are nominated for a TED Talk. That's when you find out all the rigid rules of a TED Talk. But the rules that are there 
will make you a better presenter and speaker, in my opinion. And so it forces you to rise to the occasion of what you maybe already should be doing just in a longer format in a, an association or a corporate environment. Mm-hmm. I guess when somebody asks a corporate person, and, and again, I say this because I know this is the fact, this is what happens to me or happened to me in the past. When somebody asks you to make a presentation, the first thing you usually do is you click and open up PowerPoint on your PC or your, on your Mac and you start to write slides and it's usually heading bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. But of course, what then happens is you effectively just get a deck of slides that you stand up and talk to as opposed to a properly structured, entertaining informative and educational piece which you would normally get at a ted ted um, experience so what's the what's the difference what's the process that you would go through putting together a ted talk so here's the interesting part roger and i think this is the part that makes it a little easier for people that want to make the transition mm. is that i start in a very well, i'll say a similar way the, the one difference probably is i start from the story first yeah so i ask myself you know what's what's the message the overriding message i want a person to walk away with. What's the call to action or whatever that might be? What's the goal? Yeah. And then I build the story around it. So let's say weird example, but let's say I was delivering a talk on customer service to Disney. Yeah. I've shared that. I've, I've kind of used that as a, as a template one time in the past. So um, let's just use that example. Then what I will do is I'll, I do this thing I call the spider web. Right. And so basically what that is, is I'll put a circle in the center of a page and then I'll write in this case, Disney, and let's say it's customer service, I'll write customer service. Mm-hmm. And so then what I'll do is let's say if I wanted to do it about Disney, but share stories of my own experiences at Disney to kind of validate what they're doing, but also, you know, show people in one end what the other people are doing. Yeah. Then maybe what I'll do is I'll have three legs off my spider and I'll have three points. So in other words, one point could be uh, about why it's important to have systems in place, of, yeah. you know, customer service systems. Another one could be uh, a scenario of how one person can make the difference in a customer experience. If for positive, let's say, and maybe another example is how they can make a, a you know an experience for worse. Yeah. Or maybe the third leg or point is on storytelling, the right. importance of storytelling with customer service. So what I do is I start with that format, which is basically pen to paper. But here's where I start at the same place as everybody else on the next stage. So once I have that format down and decide this is what I'm going to cover, then I go actually open PowerPoint, just like everybody else does. Okay. But what I've done first, of course, is I've mapped it out before I started getting too pulled into PowerPoint and, and PowerPoint maybe influenced me to go in a different direction. But here's where I think every, here's where the pivot or the road switches from people that rely too heavily on PowerPoint and the people that don't. And by the way, I can speak from experience because when I started, I would have like bullet points, like I, they'd be falling off the screen. Yeah. Like, how can I fit this on the screen? Like, how can I, instead of thinking, how can I put less bullet points? I'd say, how can I widen this to fit it on the screen? <laughs> You're going to need but a bigger screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need to buy a different screen and, and maybe get them to have a different projector. But, uh, but really what I do differently now is I start with that format I mentioned. And the one difference is now that I know, like, for example, when I said those three legs, I'm actually going to think, what are the three stories mm. that support those legs. So what's the story that supports customer service systems? What's the story that supports storytelling? And then so I'm going to have stories, whether it's humorous or impactful or controversial or whatever it might be. And then so what I do is I open my PowerPoint and now I know the main header is is the body. So, you know, that's just going to be maybe I open it up and I have a picture of Disney. Yeah. And and whatever that might be, whatever picture I might have. And if I'm comparing them to another customer service provider, let's say Apple, maybe I have an Apple on the screen and Disney. Um and then from there, let's say my story was on storytelling, as an example, and maybe uh, there was a storyteller that uh, I, I admired over the years, maybe Tony Robbins, let's say, right. if I go speaker. Then what I'm going to do maybe is put a picture of Tony Robbins 
you know, obviously a public domain picture. I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble with copyright, <laughs> but put a picture of Tony Robbins and then that's it. So that's this is what I'm getting at. So my, I still open PowerPoint. The difference is the bullet points don't hit the screen. Mm. So mine is all visual based. And I say that I might have a header like I might say storytelling and that's it. And then a picture of Tony Robbins. So the difference is now I have to rely on me and my stories and not the PowerPoint. So where did I learn that? Because I told you I used to do bullets and now I do PowerPoint or now I do visuals. I mean, um, what I did, which is what I recommend anybody listening who wants to take their game to a next level as a presenter that's using bullet points heavily now or facts and figures is what I did was I started looking and finding out who were the best presenters in the world mm -hmm. and what did they do differently than me. And the one that kept coming up over and over again was Steve Jobs. Yeah. So what I did was I went and watched some Steve Jobs presentations and I said, what's the difference between Steve and me? And there are a lot of differences, of course, for different people. And he worked turtlenecks and jeans all the time. And I don't. But um, the one big difference that glared out to me was that I had bullet points and he had just images like he'd have a picture of the world sent his laptop on the screen. He still uses PowerPoint, but a world's picture, uh, a picture of the world sent his laptop on the screen rather than talking of all the specs of the world sent his laptop. Yeah. So he didn't make you read all these things. He might tell you four or five highlights, but his whole image. So you don't stare at the image. You don't spend a lot of time. You just look at it. Now you, the image is in your head. He, he relates the story or whatever he's sharing to the image. Now, when you picture that image, you remember the story, but he becomes the presentation and not the PowerPoint. So the biggest and best advice I could give for storytelling for people uh, outside of the you know, structure of story and all the things related to crafting your story is if you're going to deliver your story, use images or video. But I'd say images use images versus bullet points. That's such that's such a good piece of advice and actually it does it does mirror the experience that I've had as I say I started out big corporate I would be doing presentations with 200 slides you know I've had AV people say to me Roger what the hell are you doing with 200 slides you've only got 20 minutes but I'd actually go through them probably quite quickly then of course I started having similar experiences to you I think I probably even looked at people like Steve Jobs myself and then I went through a period of no slides at all and just talking and just telling stories and now I'm a bit like you a few slides with a few pictures which are totally relatable to the stories that I'm telling so it's it's good it's good to almost have that uh, experience uh, corroborated by somebody as successful as yourself Corey oh well I mean and likewise Roger I mean it's there's I guess there's a comfort in knowing what works for people and mm. I'd love to say that um, you know bullet point has worked but obviously over the years I think uh, you know that saying death by PowerPoint yeah. I think we've proved that bullets are not what people are I mean, like I said, you could have maybe one slide out of 20, but I don't think people are looking overall for facts and figures and bullets. And one of my obsessions in my role as a marketing consultant and as my role as a speaker is simplicity. I, I think that, again, big corporates especially, but even smaller companies sometimes become very complicated. They become very bloated. Their marketing is is very bloated and verbose and, and pompous to a certain extent. And I help people try to keep things simple. And I look at the TED Talks, and, and you know, I, I enjoy watching TED Talks, and they're, they're, they're always 18 minutes long. They always have a simple message, and they always have a story. Is that inherent simplicity in the TED Talk format and in storytelling in general, what, you, what makes them so universally popular? Is it really all about simplicity? I think, yeah, I, 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 you hit the nail on the head too, Roger, because I don't think it's just simplicity, but I think that's what people are looking for. And today we want our, our, we'll call it content, 
you know, mm-hmm. for lack of a different word, but people want their content in shorter sound bites. Yeah. So the simplicity works on both levels because people are distracted easier. Um, we, we, we're not paying attention as long. So we want the simplicity and the shortness because it allows our brain to continue to flow with what's going on out there in the world. Now, all the noise we're getting hit with, mm-hmm. you know, I can sit down for, I'm saying talking as the average person, I can sit down for an 18 minute talk a lot easier than I can watch a three hour training session yeah. or video. So yeah. I think that part is one. But then the second part you said, there's a reason why certain uh, TEDx or TED talks are viewed thousands of times versus ones that are viewed hundreds. And I think the difference is, or even millions if we go to that extent, I think the difference is it's the the power behind the story mm. or, and it doesn't have to be just story, but story is usually what moves it, but it's the message or the story or the universal content but present it in a unique way. So in other words, it's the presentation approach. So it's how they approach that message, I think is what also works. So TED Talks are designed, especially being 18 minutes, that you can really only deliver maybe one to three points. Mm. You know, when I say one to three points, I mean, you might have one overall point and then three ways to share it. But they're designed so that you can only deliver so much and it forces you to deliver in a more compelling way than maybe a 45-minute keynote or what have you. I really think you should most people should figure out how to shorten their talk to less than 20 minutes and then build it out if they have to be, if it's a 45 minute keynote, which is more common, mm. maybe build it down to 18 minutes and say, what could I do in 18 minutes that will blow people's minds? And then start adding in and saying, okay, if I add this in, will it take from or add to? And only add things that'll add to it. But yeah, I think it's the shortness, the brevity, the simplicity of what's shared in the message of a TEDx talk, but then it's also how it's shared and crafted that makes them so appealing to the average person. I really do like that approach of going for the 18 minute before you think of the 45. I think that's a really good one. I'm going to try that definitely. So so you've said you've you've got your three your three branches or your three stories that you're going to tell. How do you go about crafting the story so that it has the maximum impact? Now, obviously, as a stand-up comedian, you can build humor into that. But is it is it the traditional story structure of the the uh, the setup and the conflict and the resolution, or do you have a different approach to telling your stories? Yeah, I, I, it is. It, it certainly. Um, so I certainly go with a, a certain structure, and and part of that is. Uh, to make sure that I've sort of raised the conflict. And in, in as a presenter, that conflict could be much and dramatically different from, let's say, a movie. <laughs> yes. You know, it's it's how you tell it is definitely different. But, you know, you could have, um, you could start out on, instead of the worst moment, they say, you know, movies start out in the worst moment of the main character's life mm-hmm. to raise that conflict, or could. Um, I might start out on the biggest challenge I've ever faced, or what's holding me back, or whatever it might be. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about the progression that I had during that journey. So what was the journey? And then at the end, what I found worked. As an example, that could be sure. one way I would tell a story. So I'll start out with what, what was my challenge? Um, what was the journey I had to take to find the answer? And then what was the answer? That's one way I build stories. Uh, but another thing I always do in my stories, which I think you'll find most people do in, in storytelling in movies or books or what have you, is I always make sure I have... To me, it doesn't have to be to the audience because I can portray it if it know if I know it. But a clearly defined hero and villain, mm-hmm. and the catch is because sometimes people get caught up in that because we think villain has to be physical or thinking of a person. But the villain and hero don't have to necessarily be people. Mm-hmm. So you know the the, the villain could be uh, time. You know where we can't keep up. We're we're trying to juggle it all, um, and yet I keep having more pressing things coming at me. The demands are too high. That could be the the villain and the hero. Could be, I'm using it as an example, a time management system I created 
that allows me to get back some of my time. Mm-hmm. So the hero is the time management system. The villain, in this case, is everything pressing for my time, all the demands, all the things coming at me. And then I might start out talking about those demands and all those challenges. That becomes, like I said, the worst day of my life or the biggest challenge I've had or what have you. And then the journey is I tried this, I tried this, I tried this, and none of it worked until I tried this. And this is the solution I came up with. Now here's how you can use this solution in your life. So that's if I'm crafting a story from scratch. Otherwise, the other scenario is I might observe a story, something like my stand-up days and how that all happened. And I might actually tell the story, which is a true story, and just Hollywoodize it a bit. So that's my two different answers. Yeah, that's really interesting. And again, and quite a lot of the people, in fact, the majority, 80% of the people listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast work in financial services type industry. So it could be financial advice, it could be accountancy, that sort of thing. And I'm just thinking here, you know, you could have, you could be telling a story and you using those rules, you could say, well, the villain could be the tax return and the hero could be some sort of accountancy software that simplifies the filling in of the tax return. And you could build a story around that. And you then you turn what actually sounds like a pretty dull subject into something vaguely interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess, Roger, the other thing I try to do is I try to tie in what I would do if I were sharing that story with somebody sitting across from me. What I would do, because I've been, let's say, working in the industry for years, I've had many, let's say, stories of that you know, person coming in. Here's what happened. You know, here's where they struggle with their taxes. And here was the solution. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to say, you know, it's interesting, Bob, you bring this up because my customer I had. You know, you may say their name, like you wouldn't say their probably real name, but you may say, you know, let's just call him Roger. But I actually had this customer and uh, here's, you know, he came into me and here's what he was going through. And then you might go through, you know, hey, Roger was dealing with this with taxes and that with taxes. They were calling him. He couldn't keep up, but he was trying to run his business and be successful. And he thought the taxes was the pain that he didn't want to deal with. And then, you know, then all of a sudden um, I might talk about now here's the solution Roger found and here's how it changed his life. And here how his life looks today. So what I'm getting at is the story may be based on a, a real story that happened to you, but you're telling it to this person so that now universally they, they can relate to Roger because they're going through similar things themselves. And quite a lot of people listening to the podcast as well will be at various different stages of their speaking career. Some of them maybe like me took took a, a long period of um, corporate presentations, took a break, became a consultant, and I'm actually reinventing myself now i'm getting back out there i'm doing presentations again i'm getting speaking gigs at conferences i'm getting paid speaking gigs again which is good what sort of advice would you give to people who are maybe just wanting to start out getting on the speaking circuit what do they need to do other than work hard obviously So I'll tell you what were a couple of game changers for me. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'll tell you the kind of main game changer. So what what I recommend people doing, the, the hardest challenge or the biggest challenge most people will find, there's, there's various challenges. Speaking isn't, as you know, Roger, it isn't as A to Z as people would like it to be. Yeah. So there's challenges you'll come along to come into along the way, uh, i.e. making sure you have the right topic that you're passionate about, but also that you've identified a target audience, all those kind of things. Yeah. But those things I think you have to almost discover on your own. But what I will tell you that changed the game for me is, first of all, there's a great quote that I I believe I read it in a book by uh, Think and Grow Rich, or sorry, uh, Speak and Grow Rich, which is a great book, by the way. It's like, almost like the Bible. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, get that book because uh, there's so much great insight in there. But there's a great quote in it that says, there's never a good reason to speak for free, but there's always a good reason to speak for no fee. Yes. So 
what I would recommend, this part isn't the harder part, uh, and this isn't the game changer part, but what I recommend for people that are brand new, just starting out, is figure out where you can speak for no fee and make a difference. Yes. So, and that could be, I mean, depending on where you live, it'll be different, but it could be boards of trade or chambers of commerces. It could be small business associations. It could be rotaries. Ideally, what you want to do is get in front of audiences that are represented by multiple business owners, and I'll explain why in a second. Um, but basically, you want to get them to bring you in for no fee. I'm saying if you can't find bookings, you're starting from scratch, you don't know where to begin, uh, get in front of those audiences. And here's the reason why. Once you get in front of those audiences, you can do a few things. One, and this took me a long time to come around to this, but you can actually craft an evaluation form. In fact, uh, if people want to reach out to me, I can actually send them hours. I don't mind if people steal it and butcher it and make it their own. <laughs> but basically, this evaluation form, one pager uh, that I learned somewhere along the way and then kept adjusting it. But one of the key questions on there is, do you know of others who could benefit from a similar presentation? Yeah. So first of all, this is taking action because most places you speak will want to put out their own forms if they have any, and it'll be rate me one of the 10. And you're not going to gain, well, very little you're going to gain from that. All you're going to know is whether or not they resonate with your talk, but you're not going to know anything else. So my form is all about open-ended questions, but that big one about, do you know of others who could benefit? Instead of them having to approach you after or come up after or think I should go approach them, maybe they're scared to, whatever it might be, now all of a sudden you actually have a reason to follow up with them. So it might say, oh, you, you should reach out to me because I know this randomly windshield company that has <laughs> you know, a thousand employees and they want to, uh, and I know they could use the benefit of a speaker and then it'll, you know, and the thing it'll say, can we contact you? So then they might say, yeah, contact me and I'll introduce you to the owner, whatever that might be. So now all of a sudden for that no fee talk, you have a way to gather leads. So you hand out those evaluation forms. Maybe there's a hundred people in the room. If you hand them out as uh, I'll give this advice too, hand them out as a printed page. Do not let them send them in digitally because you will not get them back. You'll get like 1%. Um, hand them out digitally pick them back up, and then out of 100 people, 80 might fill them out, and five might say, here's the lead. So now all of a sudden, you've given one no-fee talk, and you have five potential paid gigs. I mean, you don't know which ones are going to be paid until you reach out, but paid gigs from that one talk. But in addition to that, what I would also say, you're brand new, you're going to need testimonials. So another question on that form of mine says, um, can we use your comments as testimonials, you know, in conjunction with our services and your company name, whatever. And then all of a sudden now, let's say 80 people in the room 60 say yes, and they gave you glowing feedback. Now, all of a sudden, you have 60 testimonials you can add onto your website on your second day after speaking. So all of a sudden, now you have multiple testimonials. If a client says, we need 10 testimonials before we can bring you in as this paid gig, you could probably theoretically reach out to 10 of those people who said you could use their name and get them to connect with the person. So now you have testimonials. Also on that form, you're going to ask, can we add you to our newsletter tribe? Now, all of a sudden, from that one talk, you're also building your newsletter tribe for other sides of your business or even when you're doing talks in their area again. So that's all on that side. And then the other thing I would add is if you're going to do that no-fee talk, you've handed out the evaluation form, you've gotten all these great um, you know, values back from doing the talk. On top of that, find out for sure you can do this, but if you can, bring somebody in to film your talk. Yeah. And now you have video you can show people as well. All of this just from your one no-fee talk that could be a half-hour talk for a chamber of commerce fantastic there's so much that you can do when you think about it and you know what i love the most about that in the digital world that we live in with apps flowing around and the internet and everything a piece of paper actually could be the most important thing out of out of what you've said there because people will fill that in at the time i like that i like that Corey. lots of great ideas and you know we've talked about 
simplicity. We've talked about thinking of one to three subjects and stories that you can tell to put across your main point. And of course, we've now talked about how you can get yourself in front of people who might want to listen to your speeches and listen to your stories. So that's that's been great. I've really enjoyed talking to you about that. One of the things I also like to ask my guests on the podcast, as it is a marketing podcast, is... Is there any marketing campaign or product or or something that's caught your attention recently and made you just sit up and think, wow, I like that product or I like that campaign? If there is, tell me what it was and what you liked about it. Well, there's so there's one that I, I we had a guest on our show and he shared this and I haven't I'll be honest, I haven't fully invested in it yet, meaning I haven't invested time or anything in it yet. But I got his book. I just haven't read it. And and but when he said it, it's it's it gave me so many ideas outside of the initial thing he said, but also even how I could use his his approach uh, in my own way. So basically, what it is is that it's called newsjacking, right? And and it's not it's not a new thing, but uh, he shared on the show, and and I I haven't any I haven't had any way to validate this for sure, but I know he has the website, the dot com, and that he said that he coined the phrase. And so basically, Roger, for those that maybe hadn't heard of it, so newsjacking is essentially a way to if let's say uh, the media shares something that's uh, in relation to your area. Let's say you're I'll give you the example he used, actually, uh, somebody that a client that is that used it to great um, a great effect. So basically, he shared that a client of his heard about Lindsay Lohan when she Mm -hmm. was something to do with uh, she was uh, running out of money. And her handbags, she for whatever reason, she talked about how much money she spent in handbags and how she wouldn't be able to buy them or something like that. So what he did was he actually he runs a, a company that uh, I think it's they sell for every handbag they sell to give one away to charity. So what he did was he sent out a press release to every news outlet that would take it saying that he was willing to uh, send Lindsay Lohan X amount of handbags to help <laughs> restock her stuff. And so what happened is that got obviously picked up by a lot of media because of Lindsay Lohan's fame. And the end result was that um, the guy who was on the show, by the way, his name is, name is David Meerman Scott. Mm-hmm. He shared that this person, I think the the sales that they had achieved from that was like, I might be wrong on this, but I think it was like 8,000 sales to the tune of $250,000 in sales directly from basically them jacking that story. So the story was coming out about Lindsay Lohan. They got an alert about it or they were watching these things and they decided to find a way to basically tag along to that story. And he shared that he did a similar thing with the U.S. election. And basically, um, essentially, uh, the guy who actually won, most people didn't think he would. This guy was saying, here's why he will because of Twitter. And he basically, as soon as the election was announced, he started commenting like crazy based on what he had said all along. And then he got booked to speak. I think it was at the U.N. uh, at his twenty five thousand dollar speaking fee. So newsjacking itself, I guess, is just more of a, an idea. But And he, he has a whole system for doing it. And by the way, his website, I think, is newsjacking.com. But, um, but basically, yeah, that's something that really jumped out at me as something that I think people could use. Uh, one thing about it is you have to be good at alerts and you have to be always on. But I think if you can tag on to stories that are maybe always resonating, hmm. you can probably do this on smaller scales. And that's what appeals to me is to do a story that's more timeless rather than trying to jump on a story that you have to be on top of three seconds after it comes out. Absolutely. And of course, you could do that at a local level or an international level or a national level. I think it's a really good technique. And it's one that I've used throughout my career as well, is spotting those opportunities and being quick and being nimble and getting in there before anybody else thinks about it. And Corey, 
Has there been a business book that you've read recently that you've enjoyed? Would you mind sharing that with the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast? Yeah, 100%. So the one I'm uh, rereading, uh, I'll I'll tell you two. One I read that I I really enjoyed was The Greatest Miracle in the World uh, by Og Mendino. And I just finished reading that and it's it's a business fable, and I don't want to you know for people that are maybe thinking they'll pick it up, I don't want to steal any thunder. To tell you much about the book would be to tell you everything about the book. Yeah. Uh, but it's a short pocket book, and it's really uh, the miracle. I'll tell you this much because this doesn't give away anything. But the miracle is basically the fact that we could. He he kind of talks about how people coming back to life from death is a miracle, mm-hmm. and so what he says in the book is essentially the greatest miracle is somebody who has lost purpose or didn't have purpose in the first place, and then actually finds. A new purpose in life because it's almost like they've come back from the dead in their life. So that was a profound book in terms of just one of those motivational books and just stuck in my mind. But the one I'm reading right now, rereading, is called The One Thing. And I was just actually on their show uh, about two weeks ago. They have a show called The One Thing, but it started with a book. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's about what's the one thing you could be doing right now that would um, essentially knock all the other dominoes down that you're trying to achieve rather than we're all trying to chase so many shiny objects. The premise with that is figure out what the one thing is that you should be doing that will make all the difference and then focus 100% on that one thing rather than trying to juggle too many. That's really interesting, isn't it? Focus on the plate you want to keep spinning and let all the other ones fall down. Mm, Love it. Absolutely. Corey, I'm hoping that people listening to the podcast are going to want to get in touch with you, perhaps invite you to the UK to, to do a speech. And of course, Uh, I didn't say at the start of the podcast, but I live in Edinburgh and we have this fabulous thing called the Edinburgh Festival, which has just finished. But you never know, you might get invited to come to the Edinburgh Festival to do some stand up. What's the best way that people should get in touch with you? You know what? Probably the easiest way, Roger, and this to me feels like a win win, is we have a new book that uh, has been out for uh, a little bit now. It's called Why. Okay. Literally, it's just the word Why. And uh, the book is free right now. It's a digital book and it's free. Uh, probably for the next couple of months at least. Right. And it, it's my 13th book. So when I say this, it's not like, because people think sometimes when they hear digital book, they think, okay, a short 10-page ebook. No, this is like a 200-page book. Right. And it's, uh, I had three in a series. We're going to be turning it into one book, the whole series into one book as a printed book in the coming months. But until that time, it's still available for free. So probably a great way to connect with me is to go grab a copy of the book for free if you're so inclined. Okay. Uh, so how to do that is it's at thebookofwhy.com. And the and it lasts for a code, and the code is simply the word Y in lowercase. Uh, so if a person goes there, grabs the book, they'll also be joining our tribe as well. So that's a way to learn from me going forward. And also, you, you can reach out at any time. Once we send emails out, you reply back. I get those. Uh, so people can reach out that way. Uh, or, of course, they can go uh, you know, send us an email, or they can go visit coreyporier.com and, and reach out the traditional way. Fantastic. And I'll include the links to your website and to the book website in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. Corey, it's been fascinating to talk to you this afternoon. I've really enjoyed listening to your insights and ideas about speaking and about storytelling and how we can apply that to our marketing and also possibly get ourselves some more speaking gigs. Thanks for coming on the show. Hopefully one day we'll be a little bit closer together, maybe in the same country, and we might actually be able to hook up and have a coffee or a beer. Absolutely. I would love that. So let's try to make that happen if the opportunity presents itself for sure. Thank you, Roger. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. 
do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? 